We use nonverbals because it is the primary means by which humans communicate, period. Welcome to the MacVet podcast, the show that talks about communication, cows and coffee. I'm your host, Fiona McGilvery, and today I'm joined by a leading expert on body language and nonverbal communication, Joe Navarro. Joe is a best-selling author and public speaker And he's a former FBI agent who specialised in counterintelligence and behaviour analysis. So when I first started my master's project on nonverbal communication, I had an idea that it would be pretty helpful to speak to someone with true expertise in nonverbals. So I reached out to Joe, not necessarily expecting that such a high profile and busy person would have time to talk to me on this. However, Joe was indeed kind enough to speak to me and generously shared with me some invaluable and practical tips based on his vast experience observing people. So I'm very excited to be speaking with you today, Joe, and this time sharing your knowledge with our listeners. So, Joe, after that very long-winded introduction, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, I've so enjoyed uh, your progress over the years as you uh, delved into the uh, the art and science of uh, nonverbal communication and uh, and uh, to see your interests uh, grow and expand and here you are now giving back uh, so I'm uh, I'm very pleased to be here well it's all been helped with your inspirational writing and consultations so thank you how would you describe what it is that you do? Well, you're not the first person to <laughs> ask me that. My mother <laughs> asked me that. <laughs> what is it again that you do? <laughs> you know, really, if you're to ask me, uh, I, I see myself more as a teacher than anything else. I, I spend an inordinate amount of time um, reading and and studying, uh, and and obviously a lot is is, is for myself, but it, it's principally so I can share uh, information with others. Mm-hmm. I was very privileged to have been in the FBI, where I got to see things that. Um, most people never get to see. You know, when I ask somebody, have you ever interviewed a terrorist? How about multiple terrorists? How about a psychopath? How about a bank robber? How about, you know, a murderer? How about a kidnapper? How about uh, a spy? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Most people <laughs> say, no. Funnily enough. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and my comeback is you missed a lot, you missed so much information, and I was privileged to um, over the years conduct a lot of interviews, uh, make thousands of observations, 
And you get to see things that uh, you most scientists never see because many scientists um, work with uh, students at a university or in a lab. And um, there's nothing quite like sitting across from a mafia member and they're talking to you and you read their body language and you listen to how they express themselves and the words that they use um, and how they carry themselves and, and so forth. And, uh, and you realize that uh, I was in fact very privileged to have conducted all these kinds of, of interviews including some some wonderful ones uh, where I met just wonderful people who uh, were out and about living their own lives uh, and maybe were witness to something or saw something. Um, and um, so you learn a lot. You learn about, um, well, in, in my case, you, you learn a lot about what's not in books. <laughs> yeah. And I'm reminded of, of the, uh, 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 the great ethologist, uh, uh, Jane uh, um, uh, Goodall, uh, when she went out and was observing the world and <laughs> uh, in the jungles. And lo and behold, it was, uh, it was so different than what had been observed in a zoo. <laughs> Weird that. Mm -hmm. And um, and she changed our perceptions of of apes and and uh, and the things that they can do, including making tools and teaching their children to both make and use tools. Stuff that was unheard of. And I, I found that, um, yeah, the scientific literature is great. Uh, but there is much that um, doesn't make it into books. And, uh, and I just felt that um, I, I had a responsibility to, to, to share those observations yeah. uh, uh, with others and, and let them go out and either prove it or disprove it. It doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, an observation is an observation. And, uh, you know, hopefully in context, we can uh, see it in other places. So, so it, it, my, it's a long answer to your question. I see myself mostly as an instructor. Um, and yes, I've written uh, 14 books. Um, but in a way, that's just ancillary. That's just a, a, a way of communicating uh, about the observations that I've, I've made. I'm certainly, I tell people I'm an author uh, but I don't consider myself uh, a real writer. You know, I know what good writing is, and uh, I'm still struggling. But um, so, you know, teacher, lecturer, um, author. Um, that's what I tell my mom, and uh, <laughs> and she still looks at me and says, "And and they pay you for this." <laughs> <laughs> and a very modest uh blimey joe um i yeah. and that's what i love because i know i've i've heard you talk before about when you sort of started that having an interest in observation and nonverbal communication and you you talk about you know have, going to the library and being excited to have a library ticket library card to start to oh, try yeah. and explore 
you know, write written work on the subject. And and as you said, there actually was a very there was a scarce amount of uh, literature on the topic. So I think for you to be writing fourteen books and hopefully many more, uh, and share your learnings and knowledge, is is certainly helpful for the likes of myself and others who want to know more about it and are fascinated by what's a truly fascinating topic so thank you for your teachings and sharing your unique experiences as you say I don't think many of our listeners will have sat across from a mafia member but if you have <laughs> please live. send me a comment <laughs> well yeah <laughs> quite <laughs> and, and live. I, I, I got to live afterwards um, <laughs> you know I, I found I found getting along with people to be uh, fairly easy and um, and I somehow managed to, to get them to uh, open up. Uh, but you do see uh, such unique uh, behaviors. And as you said, when I when I started uh, studying nonverbals formally, which is uh, 1971, there were maybe one or two books that had been written uh, on the subject. And part of the problem, I think, was that nobody really owns uh, body language. Mm. I know the psychologists think they do, <laughs> but they don't. Yeah. The uh, uh, ethnographers, uh, discoverers, you know, the early writings of um, of the uh, explorers, uh, they wrote down about body language and, and so forth. Captain Cook, uh, Sir Richard Burton, when he was exploring the Nile, uh, uh, Tasman, when he was uh, in Oceania discovering uh, Tasmania and so forth. All these people were writing about body language hmm. way before uh, uh, Freud uh, uh, percolated to the surface. So... Um, anthropologists own a lot of it, uh, sociologists own a lot of it, um, and now we have uh, neurobiologists that uh, are, are involved, in it, and of course, zoologists. Uh, when you look at the great work of, um, of Desmond Morris, who, uh, whose work was, uh, was, had such a profound influence on, on me. Um, and I'm very fortunate that every once in a while I, I, I get to uh, chat with him. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's a, here's a, a gentleman who was not going to be bound by uh, dogma and, uh, and dared to uh, call humans the naked ape. Mm-hmm. when that was almost uh, a crime to, to, to declare that. But mm-hmm. he had the, the mind of a, uh, the true mind of a child, uninhibited by uh, restraints. Yeah. And, uh, and his writings have been very, very influential on me, to see the world as it really needs to be seen without uh, a lot of restraints. Mm-hmm. Very well said, yeah. Totally agree. Uh, on that point, I wonder if part of the problem is nomen- nomenclature. That was hard to get out there. Uh, but uh, and that sort of, as you say, silo working of different disciplines and not necessarily crossing over. You know, people are quite sort of narrow minded and sorry, narrow field of focus. And they think they're working in a certain zone. I wonder if it's useful to maybe give us a bit of a uh, 
explanation or definition for nonverbal communication? And would you say it's the same thing as body language or how would you suggest they might be the same or, or differ a little bit? Well, good question. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, I, I should have started with, with that. So the, the way I look at nonverbal communication is, is this overarching umbrella uh, that covers everything that communicates uh, but is not a word. And so certainly body language uh, is encompassed in there. Uh, but then so is um, uh, kinesics, which technically is just uh, movement. Uh, also, uh, for instance, the things that we attach to ourselves, whether we use a, uh, a big pen or a Mont Blanc, do we wear a Timex watch or do we wear a uh, Patek Philippe? Um, the clothing, grooming uh, that, that, that we use, the, the things that we own, the things that we possess, um, our manners, uh, the manners, good manners, bad manners, those are nonverbals. And then there's uh, prosody, our tone of voice, cadence, um, there's the, the things such as paralanguage when we clear our throat <clears throat> or hum um, or use, you know, mm, uh, type uh, things. Um, all, all sorts of things that fall under this uh, very uh, broad umbrella, including rituals um, and, um, and, and methodologies. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, of, of something that falls under the, the very broad umbrella of, uh, of nonverbals. When I was studying um, uh, the healers, the archetypes, the healer archetype as uh, defined by uh, Carl Jung um, and, uh, and Joseph Campbell um, and, and looking at um, how is it that they, uh, these uh, shamans uh, heal people around the world and we find that there's a pattern, and that pattern is actually a, a, a nonverbal pattern in principle, which is uh, all shamans uh, begin to heal uh, visually, then uh, vocally uh, by tone of voice, incantations, humming, singing, uh, doing all sorts of, of things. Um, occasionally, uh, verbally, but not necessarily understandable because sometimes they babble things or mm. they speak in, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, a foreign, so-called foreign tongue uh, and so forth, which, um, and then lastly, uh, through touch and haptics. Um, and, and I found that around the globe, wherever I studied uh, shamans, uh, they did the, uh, the same thing. So here we have a broad array of, of uh, the nonverbals, the visual. Uh, they all dress different than the regular society. Uh, mm. They behave differently and, and so forth. So when I look at nonverbals, um, I, I would look at that. And, it, you know, and in the uh, veterinary sciences, you know, you, you look at, um, you know, there are things that a veterinarian must do. Uh, in essence, he has uh, two clients. 
or she has two clients. One is the person that's bringing in the animal. And so the nonverbals have to uh, communicate uh, confidence and, um, and, and viability to perform their, their job. But the second is the other patient, which is the animal. And the nonverbals that can make uh, an animal very comfortable or an animal uh, nervous and, and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget the, uh, I, I took uh, our dog to uh, Bella to our, a, uh, a, a vet. He's an older gentleman and he seems so nice and everything. Um, uh, but then he, <laughs> he wanted to put Bella on this uh, stand because he didn't want to bend down. And so he uh, slapped the stand and uh yeah. she uh <laughs> oh. uh sh- she was really shook up by that and so yeah. um here was an interesting uh, and, and and that's in fact that's the day that i i looked at it uh and said uh you know here's a situation where he understood how to take care of the the humans mm-hmm. but uh wasn't taking care of the nonverbals um with with the animal which is in essence the same as how do i create psychological uh comfort Mm -hmm. so i can begin the uh, the healing process Mm -hmm. and it sounds as though that was such a sort of strong experience or a memorable experience that obviously that's why you've related it to us today it stuck with you because it as you say it has such an impact um uh, well it was it was (laughs) I, I was really surprised that, that he would do that, uh, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, um, I, you know, he, he, you know we, we have a saying, or I have a saying when I teach. When you enter the room, the first thing you do is read the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the dog was already nervous. Yeah. And um, you, you, you certainly can't afford to make the dog uh, e- even more nervous. It, it, it's almost as though he had forgotten that the dog has a, um, um, a hippocampus <laughs> and, um, and, and an amygdala. So mm-hmm. everything negative goes in and um, gets processed uh, very quickly. And then it becomes a permanent marker to the point where uh, we could never get her out of the car to go into that vet again. Mm. Oh, yeah, not good. So it's, uh, you know, so as I study the nonverbals, uh, I, you know, I do it as an ethologist. I look at the whole environment. Mm-hmm. And, and in that instance, I was looking around at the, the nonverbals of the clinic, mm-hmm. uh, the, out, the outside, the inside, um, and so forth, but also what everybody else was uh, was uh, was doing, and and once again, that's one of the things about nonverbals is nobody owns it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Another vet veterinarian would look at it differently. A zoologist uh, would look at it differently, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and certainly. An anthropologist uh, would uh, would would look at it differently, mm-hmm. and that kind of leads me on to the next question, really, which is how people perceive the relevance or significance of nonverbals, and <clears throat> maybe wanting to know a little bit more about it, how useful it might be for them, 
Because would it be fair to say that perhaps many people assume that re- being able to read body language or recognise nonverbal cues is, is obviously relevant for people like yourself when you're working in the FBI, uh, police, mm-hmm. uh, uh, policemen, security right. workers, etc. You know, looking for maybe signs of deception. Uh, how important or relevant, actually, is a better, better word to use? Do you feel nonverbals are for, as you say, veterinarians and actually anyone listening to this to this podcast? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, let me clarify something. I, I didn't use nonverbals in the FBI to detect deception because we've known since 1986 and the, the work of uh, the great uh, psychologist Paul Ekman, uh, the work of Bella DePaulo, uh, the work of Mark Frank, uh, Judy Burgoon, uh, Joe Coolis, uh, my, my dear friend David Givens. Uh, there is no Pinocchio effect, so why waste your time looking for deception? <laughs> we use nonverbals because it is the primary means by which humans communicate, period. It is not the secondary means by which we communicate. There is no baby that is born that can express itself except through nonverbals, by how it squirms, by how it moves by the way it uh, looks at uh, the mother or the caregiver, um, uh, by the way it yawns, uh, uh, grabs things, turns away from things, and, and, and so forth. Um, throughout our lives, we communicate primarily uh, nonverbally. We just don't pay attention to it. I was at my sister's house the other day, and her husband came home uh, very tired after working a, a 12-hour day. And um, in, in an instant, it, it couldn't have been as long as a second, uh, you know, in an instant. You could tell that um, he had had a r- really rough day. He was working at a hospital. Um, uh, and... And not just physically exhausted, but mentally exhausted. And that begins to shape, uh, hopefully, if we have what Daniel Goldman calls emotional intelligence or social intelligence, how we communicate, you know, to, you know uh, how, how we address uh, him as he enters. Um, and, and so forth, and it shapes our, our communications. We assess for danger through nonverbals. We don't, we don't go to the ATM machine and, and turn around and ask the person three rows back, are you going to rob us? But we're looking at the people around us. When we look through a peephole, because uh, somebody knocked on our door, we're assessing uh, through, uh, through nonverbals. We... Uh, select our mates uh, clearly based on nonverbals. And by the way, those nonverbals are both visual and chemical. The, the, the chemistry that we give out uh, when we interact uh, with others, uh, that is part of the, um, the equation and falls under the umbrella. So um, I, I, you know, people say to me, well, aren't, aren't we born, 
uh, innately uh, being able to uh, understand uh, nonverbals, we're born innately understanding some uh, nonverbals, but not all of them. Um, even though we can, uh, for instance, a when I started chill, uh, uh, studying children, so in, in 1974, I couldn't find any books uh, mm. on this subject. Um, so I decided to study children who had been born blind, and I figured if they are born blind and they can perform certain behaviors, then these must be in our DNA. Mm. And, um, and, you know, the, the first one that really got to me was when a, um, I saw a blind child um, cover their eyes in the same way that, you know, we, you know, every time uh, this lady named Fiona calls me and says, can I ask you another question? And I, my yes. hands go to my eyes and they, <laughs> not, not you, not you. No, never me. <laughs> never you. Uh, God bless you. And, uh, and here's a blind child covering her eyes uh, when she hears things she doesn't like. And I say, how do they do that when they've never seen it? Or when they mm. steeple, you know, the steeples when they bring their fingertips together and they spread their fingers and the palms don't touch, a sign of confidence. Why would they do this behavior if they've never mm. seen it? Well, it's in their, in their DNA. Mm. And then you realize we perform these things, but we may not realize that we're performing them and mm. uh, how helpful they, they are. Um, I, I would argue uh, that certainly since Australopithecus afarensis 2.4 million years ago, we have uh, communicated non-verbally uh, and silently because it was efficacious. Hmm. Uh, right up to the time when we were archaic humans. So from 2.4 million to 300,000 years ago and you have archaic humans, uh, we were surrounded constantly by predators. So we had to move quietly and express ourselves silently if we were to uh, pass on our genes. Mm -hmm. And even um, to 60,000 years ago in Australia, when the first aboriginals arrived, to Mesopotamia uh, 6,000, 8,000 years ago, we were surrounded by uh, predators and um, our, our primary means of communication has been and will continue to be uh, nonverbal mm -hmm. to the point that we actually have to have uh, emojis to <laughs> express yeah. sentiments um, to make sure that the message uh, gets through. It is the only way, it is the only way, true way that we can communicate uh, both love and empathy is through um, through nonverbals. It, it, it believe me, it's not by a text message. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Did exactly. I answer that uh, correctly, uh, Professor? Yeah, that <laughs> was obviously it was perfection. Thank you, uh, and it just goes to show just how central it is and I, it was just making me think about a, another guest I spoke to a few weeks ago who's a visual thinker um, 
And she mm. was saying that she has worked with children and their observational skills are really sharp when she works with older people. Um, mm. So sort of older teens and, and adults, she finds she has to actually point things out for them to then almost remind themselves about the observations uh, that she's trying to draw them to to uh, to make from you know images and stuff so I just wonder and she was saying as well about how perhaps our focus on vocabulary on on verbal communication detracts from nonverbal communication and I guess the good news is we have got the tools to be observant but how and I know you run a lot of training sessions uh, and obviously uh, writing your amazingly helpful books how easy do you think it is for people to become better nonverbal communicators and understand about nonverbals? Um, great question, but let me backtrack for a second because you said something profound and that uh, person you talked to said something profound. Children are born naturally curious. Find out next time what Joe has to say about becoming a better nonverbal communicator in part two of this conversation where we'll also find out more about the power of nonverbals in our interactions with others. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show so you can join me next time when I'll be talking more about communication, cows and coffee.